Some unfortunate news in the hockey world. I believe late last night, definitely overnight, but the Buffalo Sabres announced that uh, broadcast legend, mm -hmm. and not just legend to the Buffalo Sabres, legend in the NHL, one of the greatest to ever do it, Rick Jenneret, uh, passed away. Uh, so we echo mm -hmm. what the Sabres put out, sending love to the family. Um, 51 I mean, year broadcast career. Amazing, 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 amazing. If you think Sabres, you think Generette, uh, mm -hmm. and you think about some of the greatest calls ever, May Day is, mm -hmm. it may stand as the greatest hockey call of all time. I don't know if anyone's touching that. It was, and still is, remarkable. And Generette, of course, as synonymous with the team as anyone in the hockey space. So, yeah, condolences, and what a career for Rick Generette. Yeah, May Day, the uh, Brad Magel what, OT winner? In 93 or something. Mm -hmm. Mayday. Mayday. It's just incredible. Yeah, you're going to hear lots of his calls um, now on social, you know, sharing some of his his uh, legendary career. 51 years as a broadcaster and a Hall of Famer as well, right? I think he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame Foster Hewitt Award. So. He should be in every Hall of Fame. Well, not every Hall of Fame, but, you know, Buffalo Sabres Hall of Fame, Hockey yep. Hall of Fame, anyone that he's applied to mm -hmm. or can be applied to. He should be there because Rick Jenneret is the standard among team broadcasters. Let's go to another team broadcaster. Uh, ben Schulman, Blue Jays radio play-by-play -play announcer for us here at Sportsnet 590. The fan talk a little Blue Jays. Good morning, Ben. How we doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. And I actually, uh, I'm kind of the proud owner of a, a bubble hockey machine like you'd see it in an arcade that Rick Jenneret voices and screams wow. for the goal. So it's, uh, I'm a big fan. Oh, you better hold on to that dearly. That's, That's something I've yeah. never heard of. That should definitely. Where did you get that? It was uh, ordered from the U.S. I, I don't exactly remember how, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty prized possession at this point. What kind of condo you live in? You got an air hockey bubble. <laughs> I'm at 100 square feet. I can't even move around without bumping into the walls. You're, you're living the life of luxury, Ben Shulman. Yeah, I will. I will say this was more when I was a kid. It's not uh, <laughs> currently with me, but I wish maybe in the future. All right, a bubble bubble hockey team uh, table can change a basement, can change oh, can yeah. change a workplace. I uh, I was in a workplace once where a bubble hockey ta uh, table showed up and uh, productivity it went down. Okay, so uh, yesterday we uncovered uh, Alish's Jay's Care item, if there ever was one, mm. you know, in the future. Hint, hint. I think there should be. Uh, just eating Looney Dogs with Alish Forfar, I think it would do quite Great well outing. in terms of an auction item. But uh, is there a Ben Shulman Jay's Care auction item? Like what? How could you? you got fishing uh, with Buck Martinez, yeah. Looney Dogs with Alish. Is there, is there something that you could offer if we're, you know, extending things, trying to make a little cash for Jay's Care? Because we all should be trying to make cash for Jay's Care. Yeah, I'm. Tr I, I'm trying to think. I. I, I don't know if I'm super uh, interesting. You know, like uh, one. One thing that uh, friends and family like doing is I'm colorblind, and people always just point at things and ask me what <laughs> color they are, so we could just do like. It's worth a couple hundred bucks. I would. That sounds them, like a know? fun game. I, I would do that. What about bubble hockey with Ben? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a, a way better idea. Ching, there you go. Bubble. Bubble hockey would be fun. Bubble hockey with Ben. And we know who's on the call, the great Rick Jenneret. So that's uh, yeah. awesome. Okay, let's go to this weekend. Big series, uh, Cincinnati Reds. Blue Jays will be in Cincinnati. Uh, one of the more appointment viewing teams, watchability rankings, if you're doing that, I'm not, I'm not sure they'd be at the very top of the list. But in terms of highlights, in terms of potential, in terms of, you know, potential thrilling moments, uh, yeah, Cincinnati's right up there. So 
it'll be up to the Blue Jays to sort of kill that momentum or kill that excitement just a little bit given the nature of these two teams. But uh, is there a storyline? Is there a matchup? Is there something when you contrast these teams that sticks out as we uh, tee up the series? Yeah, I, I mean, it's two uh, very different teams, I think, right now in terms of the fact that the Reds really are hitting the ball. But uh, an issue for them has been pitching and a lot of the health of their pitching, unfortunately for them. On the other side, of course, the Blue Jays, you know, as good at run prevention as anyone in baseball, but haven't hit as much as they're supposed to. And I, I think for the Reds and the Blue Jays, you really look to Sunday's matchup where the Reds are going to get Hunter Green off the 60-day IL, who is... Uh, you know, a guy who throws just about as hard as Jordan Hicks does, but he does it uh, as a starter and will do it over at a hundred pitch span. So uh, that will be really interesting to see when he matches up with uh, Hyunjin Ryu, it's projected. But in general, it'll uh, it'll be an interesting battle of uh, pitching first versus offense first. Uh, I, I think the good news for the Blue Jays is that Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati is about as friendly of a hitter's park as there is in Major League Baseball. So maybe it's an opportunity for them to uh, kind of break out a little bit offensively over the weekend in a, in a ballpark that should help them out. Uh, it'll help to have Bo Bichette back in the lineup uh, if you're looking offensively and, of course, defensively as well. Uh, seems like he made the, the call and the announcement that he'll be back Saturday in the lineup. Uh, we were talking about a great article that Nick Ashbourne wrote here at, um, at Sportsnet, which is on our page here, but um, basically went through the actual statistic loss um, that Bo Bichette out of, out of the lineup has in, at least acquired or accounted for one loss um, over this 15-game stretch. Um, having Bo back in the lineup Saturday, where was he missed the most for you? I think it's it's got to be, you know, his ability to drive in a guy like Whit Merrifield or set the table for, you know, Brandon Belt if he's sitting in front of him or maybe driving in Belt as well. Uh, you know, Bo has been much improved at shortstop this year, and I think they'll be happy to, to put him back there. But, uh, you know, it's no secret that, that at shortstop so far, Paul DeYoung has struggled for them. And in general, you know, the lineups that they've put out there, whether it's DeYoung or Espinal at short, Espinal did a bit better, but, uh, you know, Bo Bichette is, is the leader in hits in the American League despite missing all of this time and the best offensive player on the Blue Jays this season, I think undoubtedly. So uh, when they get Bo back, it's, it's a huge lift. Uh, to their offense because they they need him really to be able to score as many runs as they want to to win games. How much of a mental lift do you think it gives to the team, like an emotional return to have Bo back in your lineup, your best player, your best hitter, someone that's going to make a big difference defensively as well, and then you look around and people are getting healthier. You're starting to get names back in the lineup. You're going to have one of the best bullpens in baseball, one of the best bullpens that you've had as an organization. You're getting your starting pitching back with Hanjin Ryu. Like, do you think that gives an emotional boost to this team, specifically when you look at some big games they have to win down the road and looking at how maybe the AL East is starting to falter a little bit and there's an opportunity to capitalize on you know, the Rays and the Yankees who are not in the greatest of spots? Yeah, I, I think it's massive. I think Bo is the biggest part of it, but I think in general, you had mentioned a, a couple other people. They're they're getting a lot healthier. It, it'll be interesting to see what the status is of Matt Chapman as we go into this Red Series, who you know has also been one of the more productive offensive players on this team this year, uh, and was out for the entire Philadelphia series and the finale of the Cubs series as well. I, I think that if 
they're all getting healthy at the right time, there's a shot here that maybe they get uh, the hottest they've been, you know, because we're still kind of waiting for a big hot streak. In. And, and, hey, maybe it doesn't come. Who knows? It is, it is later in the year. But uh, I, I think that there's an opportunity here that it could really all come together at the right time for them getting everyone back and and knowing that these are the biggest games coming up of the season. So, yeah, Bo, Bo is – you know, one of the big leaders of the team, not just in his production, but but in and around the clubhouse as well. And I think his return uh, is just massive for the Blue Jays. Uh, I want to circle back to the Reds here for a second because uh, we the two guys who get the headlines are Ellie De La Cruz because I mean he's 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 offering those moments that thrill uh, and of course we're drawn to Joey Votto but there's a shortstop named Matt McLean who leads the team in FanGraphs WAR in just 79 games. Uh, he's in the rookie of the year discussion, maybe more so than Ellie De La Cruz is despite all the attention he's soaked up. Uh, you know, is he like the biggest challenge? Is he what uh, Blue Jays pitchers got to be uh, super attentive to uh, this weekend? I, I think so. I, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with a lot of what you said there. You know, Ellie De La Cruz is about as entertaining as anyone you could watch. But when you look at production, I, I think there's no doubt that McLean is the guy who has a better shot to win rookie of the year right now. He leads national league rookies in average on base and slugging, not to mention he's doing it uh, playing shortstop most of the time, whereas they have De La Cruz, you know, kind of bouncing between short and third. It, it's a deep lineup. But I don't know that, uh, you know, he's, sitting in there like, uh, let's say, a Jose Ramirez for Cleveland, and you only have to worry about a guy like him or have to worry about him disproportionately. But I, I think that he is the big driver of this offense right now. And, you know, there's a lot of guys. You know, Will Benson is having a phenomenal rookie season for them. Stuart Fairchild uh, has been good for them as well. Votto is hitting home runs at a rate that we haven't seen in his career, which is just phenomenal for a guy that uh, at least I think should be a, a pretty easy lock to go to the hall of fame. And Spencer steer, I think is a handful as well, but Matt McLean has been the driver of this team. And he was the first rookie to come up and impress for them. Just uh, unfortunately for him, Ellie De La Cruz came up like a week and a half later and, and stole a lot of headlines. But McLean is a serious problem for opposing pitchers. And I think for a lot of people that haven't heard of him a ton or, or watched him a ton uh, throughout this season, it might be a big surprise to see what he can do at the plate if he really goes off in this series. We're chatting with Ben Shulman, Blue Jays play-by-play uh, announcer here on Sports on 590 The Fan. Um, okay, so opposing pitchers, that will be Jose Barrios tonight. Uh, where are you at with what you expect for Barrios tonight? Uh, this rotation has been definitely a point of conversation. It's been looking good. Um, Kikuchi has certainly taken over maybe the spot of uh, biggest bounce back. And I know Barrios had that one for a little bit, but the way that uh, Kikuchi's been pitching as of late, he's taken the comeback player trophy from his hands. But Barrios on the mound tonight and what he can do to be able to uh, soften some of that offense that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think for him, it's just so much about uh, being able to, you know, use his slurve effectively, use his changeup effectively against lefties too, which has been a big boost for him and keep the ball in the ballpark. Uh, Barrios had the best ERA of anyone on the staff in the month of July. And he only gave up one homer, homer over that run, which is kind of similar to the run we're seeing now with Yusei Kikuchi, where he hasn't given up a home run in six straight starts. And for both of those guys, typically they get in trouble when they give up the long ball for Jose, you know, he had one of his rougher starts in a while against the Cubs. The Cubs, though, are, I, I think, one of the hotter offensive teams in all of baseball. 
So, you know, if, if he can just limit walks, which he has over his last two starts, keep the ball down and keep it in the ballpark. I think he's got a really good opportunity uh, to go out and give the Blue Jays a chance to win and continue his bounce back season, which has been really impressive for Toronto. Uh, I don't know if you share the same feeling, uh, but the optics around Kevin Biggio compared to other members of like the utility staff, if you want to call it that, non-everyday guys on this Blue Jays team are are much better. And it might just be recency bias uh, contributing to that because he's played really well uh, lately. But like the numbers, if you look at them overall, you know, there's not much separating. And then even guys who have a lot of negative public, I like Dalton Varsho, and I guess the expectations are, are kind of what filters into it. You know, much more impact overall, despite, you know, you know, have more playing time but what is it about Kevin Biggio is it just the recency bias is it just what he's given lately or is there something there that maybe is not in the statistics that he does provide that gives you that feeling where yeah he's a little bit more valuable at the depths of the roster than the other guys I, I think you can find a little bit of both there I mean he's certainly hitting better recently there's no doubt about it however if you go back and track some of his stats going all the way back to may 23rd which was kind of his first hot streak of the season he's a guy who's you know posted a a batting average that's in the high to mid 200s and an ops that's in the you know low to mid 800s he he aside from a really poor start to the season has been helping the team out i think in a couple ways for a while he gets on base a lot, which I, I think for a Blue Jays team that wants more opportunities with runners in scoring position because they haven't done so well in them, so you may as well have a lot of them during a game. I think he's been really valuable. He's fast. We saw him steal a base in that last series, but he's also really positionally versatile, and I think that's the one non-stat thing that really probably helps him out is, you know, in the in the Cincinnati series, he played second base and third base. He can play in the outfield. He's obviously a left-handed bat for the Blue Jays, which can help them out in certain situations and he's got some power and and I think we haven't seen you know with the exception of the amazing start to the Davis Schneider career I don't know that we've seen a lot of power off the bench for the Blue Jays Biggio's got eight home runs and far fewer plate appearances uh, than you know all of the starters on the team and and when you hit more home runs you have an opportunity to kind of flip games in a way that other guys don't he pretty directly won a game for them in Cleveland, uh, you know, he earlier in the year hit a big homer against the Minnesota Twins. He, he's picked some spots there and had some major impact. His, you know, his production overall this year has not been ridiculous, but with the recent run, he has started to turn more into about a league average player statistically. And I think when you're looking at guys off your bench, like you can't expect them to be so so phenomenal because if they were they wouldn't be on your bench frankly you're not Mm going to have 13 position players that are just uh you know hitting the snot out of the ball all the time but i think him getting hotter recently and really getting to that point where he's league average you start to look at his year overall uh and what looked like it might be a disappointing season at least in my opinion I, i don't think his is that anymore i think he's provided them with a lot and done kind of exactly what you need him to do off the bench which is get on base hit for power and play defense in a lot of different spots. Yeah, a lot of it, right, is the pool with which you're competing with or, or whom you're competing with. And I guess he's competing with the likes of Espinal and DeYoung right now. And DeYoung giving you absolutely nothing and, in fact, taking a lot away. And Espinal just sort of cannot find ways uh, to help this roster right now, or at least it seems to me. Uh, do you think there is utility to Santiago Espinal over the last six, seven weeks of the season at all? 
I, I think that, you know, he provides, you know, backing up at third base that you don't really have in other spots. I'd be interested to see what Paul DeYoung could do at third base. He's been a, a career shortstop, and that's because he's, you know, despite him not hitting so far, he has been pretty good for the Blue Jays at shortstop. He made a nice catch up the middle in their most recent game. It's interesting because, you know, there's going to be a bit of a crunch when they get some guys healthy again, but then the rosters expand in September. And so uh, I think, you know, one guy is about to go down when Bo Bichette comes back. And honestly, I think as unpopular as it is, I, I lean right now that it might be Davis Schneider just to help him get some more consistent at-bats again because he really hasn't been in the lineup a ton over the last several games for the Blue Jays. And they could hit him at Buffalo. It'd be less of a a shock to him and that he could come back. But I, I do think that when Bo Bichette comes back, there is a, you know, a, a bit of a jam there for Espinal and some of the middle infielders like Espinal with Biggio hitting well would probably feature the most as a backup shortstop or third baseman for Bichette or Chapman. But then DeYoung is your best defensive shortstop. And who knows? He could be your best not your best defensive third baseman to Matt Chapman, but your best second option uh, at third base. So it, it will be interesting to see where those at-bats go and if there is someone else that the Blue Jays are interested in potentially bringing up for an offensive contribution because it's unfortunately uh, been a struggle for a guy who I think is, you know, one of the more popular guys among Blue Jays fans and, and you know, one of, the, one of the nicer and cooler guys that you're going to find around there, but, you know, his calling card, his contact hitting, especially compared to Biggio, and he's, and he's, you know, just frankly hitting for a worse average right now than Kevin, Kevin Biggio, and I think that's a, a tough way to live for a, a right-handed hitter, too. They have a lot of right-handed hitters, and it, it's just, uh, you, you got to get creative a little bit when thinking about everyone healthy to figure out times that you're going to put him in the lineup. With everybody not being healthy, uh, Matt Chapman, uh, namely, we saw um, maybe <laughs> a future look into what a Blue Jays team without Matt Chapman could look like maybe next season. Uh, was that scary to you? Did that make you uh, enjoy and love and appreciate what we've had in Matt Chapman uh, in his time in a Blue Jays uniform? And is there a way that we can keep him next year? I, I, I lean probably not. Hmm. I mean, you never know. <laughs> Uh, I, I remember, I want to say it's like a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, both ESPN and the athletic put out their free agent rankings. And for the athletic Shohei obviously is the top mm -hmm. and Chapman was the next, like, I don't even know if you call Shohei a position player, but, but Chapman was the next position player. There were a couple pitchers in the middle. And I think Chapman was fifth and the, the first non-starting pitcher that you could find for ESPN. They had Shohei Otani and then Matt Chapman as the top two sought after free agents. And it, it's possible, but the Blue Jays have committed more money than they usually commit to this team already. They are you know, top 10 in payroll. They have multiple guys on $100 million contracts. And you just wonder if there's a team like uh, the Giants or maybe even the Yankees who are about to have an opening at third base as well who might absolutely break the bank for a guy that's, you know, about to get into, he's still in the front half of his career and in his prime, but when you're paying him this mega deal that he's probably about to get, it's going to pay him, I think, into his mid to late thirties. And the Blue Jays haven't given out a, a lot of those contracts. Kind of the George Springer contract is an anomaly for them. I, I do think 
for you know some optimism in the future at third, I think that's a, a position where they might replace it with some guys internally that could be in the minors right now. David Schneider could be an option. I, I think that Addison Barger is really starting to heat up at AAA. He was injured at the beginning of this year, and we saw all saw what he could do in spring training, and he's an interesting guy. I think Arelvis Martinez, who's one of their top position player prospects, at least I think is going to get a shot. He's only 21 right now, if I'm not mistaken, but he really improved on you know how much he was striking out and not making contact and, and has just huge, huge power that the Blue Jays, I think, would really love to bring up to the major league level. And then there's a couple of interesting free agent options like uh, Jamer Candelario, who uh, the Blue Jays saw with the Cubs who just got traded from Washington at the deadline. But uh, if I, if I had to guess if Matt Chapman was going to be back on this team, I, I, I would probably lean in the other direction. I think there's guys like Whit Merrifield who are free agents who you have a better shot at. Uh, but Chapman is just going to be, you know, one of the most sought after guys post Shohei Otani that there is in this free agent class. Yeah, I mean, this uh, short window without him may not like motivate them to, you know, sign a deal that's uncharacteristic. But man, it's probably a reminder to be pretty attentive of what's going on at third base because they're going to need to replace that position if it is not uh, Matt Chapman. Uh, next season last one for you here ben i was hating on jamal murray a little bit in the previous block i know you're a big uh, canadian basketball fan uh how disappointed are you in jamal's decision yeah it, it's tough you know like i i do think you know just to to i'm i'm a fan of canadian basketball before anything so on like the optimistic side they did beat spain yesterday uh and and i will take that any day of the week it, it it's unfortunate you know that uh it ends up being this way it really looked like he was going to end up playing for this team and he did just make a run to the finals he's an oft injured guy so i think that there was you know someone somewhat of uh of probably a, a pessimistic view from some smart people that i was ignoring for a while uh, because, you know, I just wanted to think about the fact that Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Jamal Murray playing together would be huge. And it, it really hurts them. I mean, they have a tough tournament coming up in the World Cup. They have to, you know, finish as a top two team among the America's teams in that tournament. And I think you can pencil in the United States to be one of those two teams. So, frankly, they have to be the top team that's not the United States uh, in that tournament. It, it's going to hurt them, uh, absolutely. But I, I do think that. Canada still is well-equipped here. It's still the best Canada team that we've ever seen. I mean, for a lot of the times, uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, it was like Steve Nash and who, or so, you know, and, and there were, you know, great, great players. Don't get me wrong. A lot of guys uh, that really contributed, but they just weren't household names because there weren't a lot of NBA players. Now this is an NBA laden roster. And it just means that there's going to be, you know, more pressure on guys like RJ Barrett, who came up with some big buckets late in that Spain game or Kelly Olynyk, who, you know, maybe isn't uh, in the prime of his NBA career, but just seems to dominate, uh, you know, when he gets to the FIBA game and then, you know, on the guard side, we'll see some more Nikhil Alexander Walker and uh, Lou Gens Dort, who's one of my favorite players in the NBA. Uh, great defenders. So it, it's going to be interesting. It, it's unfortunate for them that they're not completely at full strength with a guy like Murray or maybe a guy like Wiggins. But I, I still think that they have a roster in place that uh, could get them there uh, over the finish line to the Olympics and and really have some fun in the World Cup as well. I'm really looking forward uh, to, to staying up and, and watching it at, at some odd hours. 
Yep, as are we. Uh, could get there. It would be probably easier to get there. I, in fact, it would have been easier to get there with the best backcourt uh, in the tournament or a better backcourt than any other team could throw out there. But uh, maybe at the Olympics, uh, we'll see that. Uh, ben, bust out that bubble hockey table today. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. I will appreciate it. That's Ben Shulman, Blue Jays radio play-by-play announcer. Okay, I got some baseball for you. Is it time to, for something to chew it on? It is time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, this is a crazy story. Chinese Taipei is uh, facing Canada yesterday in the Little League World Series. Um, unfortunately for Canada, not a great story for that team. Um, but they had an incredible, incredible performance. Okay. Detail um, it for us. Three pitchers, led by this one specific pitcher, which I'll get into, combined for a 11 or 6 nothing win. Um, this young pitcher, who is 12 years old, his name is Fan Chen Yun, struck out nine of the 11 batters he faced with an immaculate inning in the third. He's got an 80-mile-per-hour fastball, a 70-mile-per-hour slider, and he's 12 years old. Wow. So not only, like, that sounds crazy when you look at it now, but when you do the math, I'm not doing the math myself, the way that the the plate is only 60, is 46 feet away from the mound, and when you do the math that someone else has done for me, okay. pitching ninja, this 80-mile-per-hour fastball is equal to a 105-mile-per-hour fastball at the MLB level. Obviously, this is... Tough to handle when you're 12? Yeah, I think so. Um, It's pretty incredible because he also then got up to the plate and hit a home run later in the game. So this is why I said baby Otani, and this reference is being um, used online, is that he's not only killing it on the mound, he heads up there and he hits a home run. Uh, I think it was a two-run home run yesterday to help them win as well offensively. So this guy is 12 years old. This kid is 12 years old. It's the eighth perfect game in the Little League World Series history, a perfect game, and with multiple pitches. Baby Otani is throwing absolute gas. Throwing gas already wow. at twelve years old. I don't uh, like not to like uh, you know pour shade on his his future or uh, pour dump cold water rather on his future. But I wonder how many little league World Series stars pan out. Well, we have one to watch now. We do, Baby Otani. We won't forget the name. No, we can't won't. forget Baby Otani. Pretty incredible. That's impressive, though. It's again unfortunate. It comes at the expense of the North Regina Little League team that's representing Canada at the World mm-hmm. Series. But uh, you know, at least they're a part of history. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned because that team went on further into the Little League World Series and uh, we might get to see more. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more interested now. I'll give you that. Okay. I'm not a big I'll Little League World Series on. guy, but I, I feel like, no, if you, let me, game. you let me know when baby Otani's pitching. 12-year-old superstar throws a perfect game uh, with others and hits a bomb at the plate. That's like the perfect, like it's, it's like the built-in changeup. It's 105 until baby Otani leaves. And then it's what? Uh, it's, it's 75. There you go. The next group that comes in. There you go. Um, okay. We're going to chat. Keep those Canadian hitters off balance. Yeah. The tough one for them. We're going to chat with Sophie Schmidt after the break. Uh, we caught up with her yesterday uh, after her return from uh, the FIFA World Cup with Team Canada, which was a short 
performance, unfortunately, and a lot of disappointment initially when we saw the Canadian girls take the media after they're um, unable to advance in that final game. Sophie Schmidt is is officially retiring from the national team, so we got a chance to talk to her about that decision and what goes into the next steps of her journey, which will be to be an advocate and to continue to try to get Canada soccer on the right page. So Sophie Schmidt joins us on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new FIFA World Cup champ will be crowned on Sunday morning, 6 a.m. between... England and Spain. Mm-hmm. Canada fell quite short, <laughs> to say it simply. At the FIFA World Cup, uh, they are back home. They are now starting the next chapter of their journeys. And that is what Sophie Schmidt is doing. Canadian national team midfielder, Olympic champ, uh, has announced her retirement from the team. But she will be you know, still involved in the game. Um, she's an NWSL player for the Houston Dash. Dash. So she's still got that going on. I'm not sure the timeline on all that, but the Canadian national team, nonetheless, she's going to move on from that. Um, She announced that earlier in the year and then officially after the final game. So we chatted with Sophie yesterday. We started off by asking her how things have all settled in now after, you know, the initial disappointment we saw on their faces and in the media and if things have changed since they've returned home. Yeah, I mean... I think the emotions are still there. Um, I just times just get hit with waves of like disappointment. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough because it's such a big tournament. You prepare for so long, and our team's expectations are so high. Um, it's hard to walk away from that tournament having fallen so short. Um, but at the same time, it's like a you know we need to do a big uh, gut check, reality check on where we're at and what needs to be done to make sure that. This doesn't keep happening and repeating, um, especially at the the World Cup stage specifically. Well, that's that's nice to hear, right? Obviously, because you know, for a long time in this country, we kind of like settled for just being there, uh, and the sting uh, clearly still resonates. And the expectations change when you win an Olympic gold medal, when you have uh, bronze medals in tow as well. The expectations change, and that means things have to evolve and be better. So, for this to not happen again, like what's paramount? What's number one? What needs to change? in order for this team to be put in the position or for you guys to take advantage of opportunities that are in front of you in major events like this one? Yeah, I think definitely something that contributed specifically this World Cup. Um, well, one was injuries. We lost a couple key players uh, leading up to the tournament, which which happens to every country, um, but we got hit particularly hard in that regard. Um, and then the whole uh, fight for... Um, equity off the field with Canada soccer and all of that that was happening that took a lot of energy away from the team and I think a lot of our our preparation like this year we had maybe five games leading up to the World Cup and to be honest in my opinion that's not enough uh she believes we were a disaster we were all over the place and then we only had two games um and two people windows leading up to the World Cup and that's not that's not good enough um for a national team to you know, find your form, um, your stride, and all of that. And then uh, we need to do a better job of uh, getting getting the youth into the national team and playing full-time. To be honest, like, I'm grateful and very appreciative of the time that I've been able to to give to the country and play the amount of minutes and games I have. But it shouldn't that shouldn't be the case. Like, we should have 
young players coming up through the program, basically kicking me off the team, and, and it's not happening um, on a regular basis, and we're not providing the package for that for players. So I think um, that the league is one thing, um, but just making sure that we're we're providing our, our talented young young players the opportunity to make it to a, to the national team and, and perform and have the opportunity to showcase. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you had multiple answers to that question is kind of a, a testament to where Canada soccer is at right now, and it's disappointing. Um, but I want to start with one of them, and, and that was the battles off the pitch. And you mentioned, okay, obviously, getting physically ready and, and playing in those games is important, but all the struggles, you know, what you guys are dealing with mentally, uh, the fatigue, the frustration, um, maybe just even, like, the team unity and vibe would probably be something that you're continuously struggling with. Like, you want to enjoy this game. You want to play because you love soccer. But if you're always fighting and struggling for just, like, regular equality, like, I, I just wonder how much you think that that really took away from maybe the joy and the performance that you were able to have as a team, um, which ultimately impacts results. Yeah, I think it, it took away a lot of energy. I think it's flare-ups. Um, we, we tried to do our best to take on as much as possible and not allow it to affect the team, but you can only do so much. And, um, you know, the team cares about the state of the program and where it's going in the direction. And at times we just feel helpless that we, like, we are not able to, to enact change um, because it's so deep-rooted and that's frustrating. Um but yeah, it's it's unfortunate that as as players, our profession is to play. Our biggest thing is making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and that we're performing on the field. But when there's so many distractions, um, it definitely takes energy away from that. And yeah, the timing of all <laughs> this is quite unfortunate. But it had to be done. The fight had to happen, and um, I'm glad it did. But at the same time, that uh, you know, it, it took its toll, and, and, and you know, it paid the price. I'm not saying that that's the entire reason for. Our performance at the World Cup, but I definitely think it's a, it's a large factor. And um, yeah, looking back, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, is it true that you know this problem is omnipresent around uh, women's global football? I mean, not to say hey, England's doing it and Spain's doing it, but we've heard from others that you know England and Spain are among other countries that are dealing with same struggles to be supported by their own federations. Uh, it, you know, we talk about Canada and Canada soccer and all the issues because we're talking about it on the men's women's side all the time here on this show, uh, on radio, on television, it is a massive issue when we're looking at sports in this country. But it feels like this problem affects so many teams, uh, more, more so, obviously, on the women's side. Is it true to say that, like, all, all these teams, a lot of these teams, the majority of these teams even, are, that were at the World Cup this summer are dealing with that? Yeah, we're definitely not alone in this, in this struggle. Um, I think because of the massive growth of women's soccer globally, um, you're starting to see it in the headlines and in the forefront. Um, I think the women's game has grown so much, and, you know, we've caught up. Well, not caught up, but we're catching up in terms of, like, the development in terms of the men. They have had way longer um, period on, on the global stage and just in terms of developing, um, you know, domestic leagues and programs and all of that. And I think the women's, women's program is, is catching up. And, you know, we're, we're trying to be the best that we can in such standards. And I think that's always, you know, you see it not only in soccer, but in all areas. Um, you know, we have to fight for what we deserve and what we believe in and what we think we, you know, what we can get. And, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of, uh, it's, it's hard that we always have to fight for everything. But 
Um, I think because it's kind of like new and it's growing so quickly that it's just kind of like everyone's trying to figure it out and just find their way through it. And I think in, in a couple of years, hopefully we've come to a place where it's so much better and um, all around. But yeah, I think right now you're seeing a huge turning point in women's soccer for the better. Um, but unfortunately, there's some caveats that come with that at this moment in time. Specifically with Canada, sorry, sorry, Ailish, for interrupting. Uh, is that like the major issue? You said it's growing so fast. Has it grown too fast in this country, both on the men's and women's side, that what we have right now institutionally cannot contain how fast that growth was? Have you just grown out of what was, I guess, uh, maybe an archaic system, maybe something that you know didn't have the foundation in place? Has this the sport grown so fast where it's outgrown? its own federation. Absolutely. I don't think that Canada Soccer was set up for it properly, and I don't think that the, the pandemic helped either in some of their, a lot of their decision-making. Um, we've kind of pigeonholed ourselves. And so, you know, trying to figure it out, you know, is, is everyone's scrambling to find solutions and answers. And I just don't think that, you know, we were set up properly for it. We don't have the resources or the, the, the long-term vision. Um, and so... Yeah, it's Canada soccer is, is, is in, a, in a tough position in this moment in time, and which is unfortunate because, you know, the men's program is doing really, really well. Um, the women's program has always done well. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I think, you know, we're, we're almost at this breaking point, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens and what unfolds next. Do you guys um, at all communicate with the men's side of it? I know there's there's some similarities, but there's also many differences of, of the, the fight that you're going through in Canada soccer in general. But is there ever dialogue or ever uh, discussion in terms of things that you might be looking to accomplish as one? Yeah, we're in constant um, dialogue with the men's team. Um, our legal counsel, talking to their legal counsel. Um, but yeah, we've definitely been been moving forward in this fight together and we have each other's backs but yeah our, our fights are slightly different um but we definitely both agree that that change needs to happen um for the better for for all of soccer in canada and, and that moment is right now uh chatting with sophie sophie schmidt uh canadian national team member midfielder with the houston dash uh so obviously money is like the thing that cures all like just you know universally uh, in the world and more money in the system obviously would help things would allow you guys to play uh the games you need to play and would allow for people to be paid adequately uh but aside from just like an abundance of money just showing up all of a sudden like, what is the fix? Like, what, if you could enact any change, if you could reverse something that happened in the past, and I know I'm talking uh, hypothetical here, but I think it is worth asking, like, if there could be one change to help maybe snowball future change and get to the point where there is a solution, like, what is the fix right now, even if it is an impossibility? <laughs> I wish I had the answer to that. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but for me, um, like, especially from the women's side is just a league, um, that would be a massive, massive help, um, just in terms of just developing future players for Canada. I think our system is, is broken at the moment and players are going elsewhere to, to develop or they're just dropping out completely. Um, so I think that, that would be huge for us. And then also just like... I feel like Canadians see us once every four years or and then for the Olympics as well. And um, we don't play enough home games. It's just 
Yeah, I just feel like there's a lack of consistency um, with us in connecting to Canada and the, the game and the interest in the game is growing so much and we're not seen. We're not seen by the public enough and, yeah, it's it's, it's disappointing. So you have had, obviously, an incredible story career with the Canadian national team, um, and you're walking away, um, in a sense, from the performance on the pitch, but you're going to be involved, obviously, moving forward with this fight. Uh, when you try to wrap up, like, your career, and I know you're going to have to talk about this quite a lot and start to try to think about memories and moments, like, you must be incredibly proud of what you've done on and off the pitch for this country and wearing this jersey. Um, was that an emotional journey when you when you left the, this FIFA World Cup, when you started to think about everything you've done and everything you have accomplished and what still is to be accomplished, right? It's like kind of a part two of this journey for you. Yeah, uh, I'm just grateful and like even just you talking about and asking the question gets me a bit emotional um i've had a lot of time to reflect since the last game of the world cup and you know there's just so many great memories that i have um putting on that jersey for canada on the field there's been some epic moments and games and um off the field i think that's some of the the biggest memories i have is just with the people and players um like i've with Sinky, i've played with her my entire career uh just looking back on that and just, yeah, just there's just moments where it's like, gosh, this is why you do it. Like, even though, let's say, London 12, mm. the Olympics, like we lost a game against the U.S. Um, I think everyone remembers that game. And, like, I just have such, besides the losing part of it, like such fond memories. Like, just that that is a game that as a player, like, that is what you live for. Moments of, like, intense pressure, everything's on the line, the game has everything you want, goals, you know, like the storyline, um, and then just the stuff that happens after in the locker room, seeing you talking to us, listening to the team back up, but then, like, all of Canadians getting behind us, supporting us, like, basically getting us to that bronze medal. Um, like, I have goosebumps talking and thinking back. It's just moments like that where it's just like, wow, like, I'm so proud of where we've come from, and, like, we have so much further to go, and yeah, it's just, there's a lot. There's so much to think and look back on. And I just, like, my heart is just filled with so much pride and joy. Um, there's definitely moments of disappointment. But mm-hmm. I think the good stuff definitely outshines the bad. And I think even though, like, right now, like, in the fight that we're in, like, there's so much good yet to come. Um, and I think that's the exciting part. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot um, still to be achieved. But I love that there's still, there's so much positivity. There's so much... Um, that you can take in your career and look forward. And I'm not looking for moral victories, but really things that you saw at the FIFA World Cup or some of the youth that are being invigorated into this lineup. And maybe not enough, but there are some really new faces that uh, that had debuts or have had opportunities with the Canadian national team. What are you most inspired about when you leave this you know, part of your legacy and you look forward? Is there a point? Is there a, a player? Is there um, a growth that you've seen that you can feel the most proud of and inspired when you look forward to where this team can go in the future yeah i think it's exactly what you just said is that like that you um it's amazing to have like these young players come into camp and just be like wow i watched this game and it inspired me and like i remember like seeing them come in and be like oh my gosh this player's my favorite player and being like super shy around them and then like realizing that they're actually normal human beings just like them and um i think that's a special moment for sure but uh, some of the young players coming up are so talented. I am, I know that I'm stepping away from the team, but I am so excited to cheer them on and 
and see what some of these younger players are capable of. Like the two that were at the World Cup, um, the brand brand newbies like Olivia Smith and Kimmy, uh, they have so much um, growth opportunity. And I, 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 yeah, I'm just excited for some of the young players. We have the talent, um, and I can't wait to get, to develop and shine through and and see what they they can, uh, yeah, show the world in the Canadian jersey. Uh, one day and Olivia Smith will be playing in her final World mm-hmm. Cup. Are you hopeful that, you know, the situation will be different for her? Yeah, I I am, yeah, I'm positive that it'll be different for her. I think change has always happened, um, especially for us in, in a positive direction, even though it might not look like that in the moment. Um, I think the, the way the, the game is growing, um, I think we're just going to, keep getting better and I think with uh with Brandon Matheson and everything she's doing at the helm of like getting developing a league and if that happens, um yeah, I think there's just a lot of potentially great things on the horizon. We just have to keep pushing and fighting for it and that change will come. But, you know, we gotta keep pushing and fighting because other countries, you know, you saw it at the World Cup, um, you know, they're catching up or have caught up and it's not just like a three-headed race for who could potentially win the thing. It's, there's a lot of teams that are right there on the cusp. And, I mean, it's it's really great for women's soccer, but it's also just, you know, a wake-up call. We've got to keep um, growing and developing or else we're going to get left behind. Yeah, you mentioned uh, it's not just a three-headed race anymore. We're going to have a new war, um, FIFA World Cup champion uh, crowned this Sunday. England and Spain both uh, first time here in the final. So a bit of growth, maybe not uh, the growth that we'd want here as Canadian fans. But, yeah, the the, the globe is growing. And the, 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 I mean, I guess the, the big goal is to have soccer um, grow everywhere. But when you look at England and Spain um, and their opportunity to be crowned FIFA World Cup champions, is there is there a lean for you? Is there a prediction? Is there something that might put one team over the edge when you watch these two go on Sunday morning? I don't know. They're both really great, different styles of play. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like we're, as a country, maybe more similar to England, but mm. I just have so much respect for the Spanish and the way they play football. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. I would love to see Spain win, but either one. as well. I'm just rooting for a great game. Yeah. Lots of goals. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't want to see like a one nil win. Let's get like a four three penalty kick victory. <laughs> that could be fun. Penalties, no penalties. Yeah, no, 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 no. We winner. don't want penalties. Yeah. No penalties. We know that very, very well. No, um, no, no penalties. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we really appreciate your time this morning. It was great to to kind of catch up about just the World Cup, but also everything on and off the the field here with uh, with Canada soccer. We have you know really enjoyed watching your career. It's been inspirational to Canadians, young boys and girls everywhere um i know you're not walking away fully from it so we're excited to see what you do next um how you continue to advocate and just really respect everything you've done for our country so congratulations on your career and and moving forward everything that you'll do and we're looking forward to catching up with you down the road awesome i appreciate you taking the time so it was awesome talking to sophie schmidt yesterday and of course we appreciate the time i I was though like a little disappointed thinking about Mm -hmm. it after because like you know, we asked a couple times about what needs to change, what needs to happen, and it's like, okay, yeah, I understand we need the league and you need more money and you need to be financed and supported in all these ways. But, like, I want someone to tell us explicitly yep. what needs to happen. And I, I tried a couple times there, 
and, and I still feel like I'm left without answers to questions, right? And I, I don't know if it's like, hey, you're still in it, you're still in the weeds, or maybe we don't know, or maybe it's vague, and maybe that's the problem, but it just feels like in order for us to, like, push, and we, we have voices on this show where we can talk about the things that could or could not mm-hmm. happen, and for a lot of it, we feel like we're a little bit, like, in the dark of what the actual issues are other than just simply money. If it's simply money, sometimes you just throw your hands up because what are you going to do? Uh, you can't just invent it. Uh, well, I guess, I don't know, sometimes people print money. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you can't just, like, you can't just have a bag of money show up at your door and fix things. Uh, and I, I, I think we need more solutions than just, Hey, we need to be supported more with money. And I just want to try to get to the bottom of it. And I just, I don't know. I want to hear more, I guess, is where I'm going. With I that. think you're right to feel, feel like you're left with some major an- uh, questions without answers. I think some of it was also, you know, there's a lot of off field distractions that she mentioned, but you know, they still got outplayed and they were still, you know, not performing well on the pitch too. Right. Like, and I, I don't want to discredit all the yeah. things that they're doing off the field. And I certainly, we leaned into that a lot. It's important to hear that if you get the right answers, but also like they were out hustled, outworked and out strategized at times. Outclassed. Outclassed. So yeah. those are certainly things that can be affected by what's going on behind the scenes. But in the end, like there's multiple reasons to why Canada one were unable to advance at the FIFA World Cup, and there's a laundry list of things that need to be done to be a better, more competitive team next time around. And, and to credit those who you know did suffer that loss, I mean Christine Sinclair, what everyone picked up, what was aggregated, what was had everyone talking about mm-hmm. was like, hey, well, this needs to be a wake up call, right? Like Christine Sinclair did say that, yes. but she also prefaced that answer when she was asked about the lack of resources or the lack of funding, et cetera, et cetera, that it wasn't. Uh, an excuse. And that was kind of left behind a little bit. I mean, if you watch the full interview with Christine Sinclair after, yes, she alludes to a lack of funding, but she also didn't make excuses. And I think it was framed as, hey, Canada soccer, letting another. And and there is a part of that. 100% there's a part of that. But there's also a part of it that hangs exclusively on the athletes. And frankly, they weren't good enough at the tournament. 1,000%. Um, we will certainly get more opportunity to debrief a little bit more Canada soccer the next time. there. I know the girls are coming into town, I believe it's September, for a match. So maybe we can recircle this conversation a little, a little later on. They're playing at BMO Field. Um, one more hour here on the Fan Morning Show on our Friday morning. Two more guests. Uh, let's tee up tonight's game. Blue Jays and Reds. Uh, Jose Barrios on the mound. Alex Faust. Apple TV, MLB play-by-play announcer is calling the Reds Jays game. Tonight is an Apple TV game, so you can't catch it on Sportsnet TV, but you can always catch it on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590, and on the Sportsnet app. We'll take you through all of that next on The Fan Morning Show.